So we're in week four of our series in Galatians, and last week, if you remember, Paul was defending the gospel by calling out the legalism of the false teachers that were trying to deceive the church in Galatia. Paul did that by recounting the events of the Jerusalem Council, which is found in Acts chapter 15, and he cited that the apostles and the church leaders in Jerusalem of that church were backing what Paul's message was, the gospel message. But next, what he's going to do in order to continue to prove to the Galatian church that the gospel is true, that these false teachers are false, he's going to share with them an account in which he confronts the apostle Peter um, after the events of the Jerusalem council. So basically the scene is this. Paul comes up, he confronts Peter because Peter was doing something wrong. I believe that Paul shares this account with the church in Galatia for a few reasons. One is to remind them that it's easy to get off track. If you are a believer in Christ and you lose your focus, it's easy to get off track. It can happen to anyone. And in this case, it even happened to the apostle Peter, who spent time with the Lord. Second, I believe he shared this because... No one is above being confronted. If we're going the wrong way, if we're doing something wrong, our fellow believers in Christ should confront us, should pull us aside and kind of help us to understand where we're going wrong. And no one is above that. Even the Apostle Peter was not above being confronted. The third is to teach the church theological and doctrinal truths, to continue to teach them what the pure gospel is, where they're going wrong, why they're following after this false teaching of these Judaizers, this legalism of the Judaizers. So we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 11. When you see the name Cephas, that's actually Peter, that's another name for Peter. So, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So the issue here is this. Peter was eating with the Gentile believers. And when some of the Jews, probably Judaizers, came, he bailed out on dinner plans. Okay, He basically said, I'm not doing this anymore. He feared what these false teachers and what these Judaizers would actually say or do. Paul saw it fit to confront Peter for what he did. Okay, Which brings us to the question that we have to answer today for ourselves. Who and when should we confront another believer? Who, who, who should we confront and when should we confront them? First, let's look at the who. And I believe that is our responsibility as fellow believers to confront any believer that we have a relationship with that's doing something that negatively impacts the gospel message. So if you have a friend or a family member that you have a good relationship with and you see them doing something that's not in line with the gospel message, it, it, it impacts the cause of the gospel, you have a responsibility to actually pull them aside and talk to them. So Paul checked both of those boxes for Peter. Paul had a relationship with Peter and Peter's actions were not in line with the gospel. They were impacting the spread of the gospel. So relationally, Paul knew Peter, and Paul essentially was an apostle like Peter. So really, he was 
the right one to confront Peter. Now, in our Christian life, there are going to be certain people that we should confront based upon the relationship we have with them. And honestly, those people, if we don't confront them, in some cases, no one will. Because they don't feel that they have that relationship. They feel that they have no business. Many people around Peter at that time probably felt that they had no right to confront Peter because Peter was an apostle. And they were probably pretty intimidated by Peter because, you know, Peter was doing this and they were like, well, you know, we think it might be wrong, but who am I to confront the apostle Peter? I mean, he spent time with the Lord Jesus. Who am I to confront? So that's why Paul said, I opposed him to his face. He wasn't intimidated by Peter. Paul had a personal experience with Jesus as well, so he knew he was the right one to confront Peter. But Paul also went right to Peter. Now, this is important, okay? This is important. When it comes to confrontation, we are supposed to go to that person. Don't go and rally the troops. Maybe some of you have done this before. You see somebody, they're doing something wrong, you're like, I think I should confront them but I'm a little worried. So I'm going to go to this person and ask them, what do you think I should do? Did you hear about what's going on? Did you hear about what's going on? What, what should I do? And then they go to two or three people and they're like, what? And then all those people know the situation now and they're like, yeah, you should confront me. You're like, okay, 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 right? Here's the deal. If you know somebody, if you have a good relationship with somebody and you know they're doing the wrong thing, the best course of action is just go right to them. Just go right to them. In fact, in Matthew 18, Jesus gives us kind of this outline on how to confront people. He says, first, go to them, right? And then he says, if they don't listen, then bring someone else. Go to another trusted Christian. Say, hey, listen, I was talking to so-and-so. They're doing the wrong thing. But they won't listen to me. They kind of got mad at me for even saying anything. So can you come with me? It's kind of like validate, like, you know, what they're doing is wrong. And both of us think this. The scripture continues to go on and it gets pretty extreme and it says bring it to the church or the church leaders. Get some church leaders involved in this. Now this is extreme. This doesn't happen that often because most people, most people, if they trust Jesus and a loving Christian comes and confronts them, most people are like, you know what? Yeah, I should probably listen to this person. This person has my best interest in mind. So what Peter was doing negatively impacted the gospel being spread because of Peter was afraid of these men. See, when these Judaizers came, Peter was afraid to be seen eating with the Gentiles. And some of you are like, why? Well, you see, Jews could not eat with Gentiles because Gentiles were unclean. Okay, so paint this picture here. He's sitting down having a meal with a bunch of unclean people. So now these Jewish people come in, see Peter. Could you imagine this scene? Peter's like having a good time. Like, yeah, we love Jesus. You know, let's eat something. And then the people come in, they're like, oh no. He's like, I, I got to get out of here. I can't be seen with you guys. So he was afraid. The fear of man caused him to draw away from these Gentiles. So the result of what Peter did was this. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So there's a bunch of people, a bunch of Jewish believers in Christ. So the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So the problem is not only what Peter did was wrong, 
it actually led other believers astray. It got them off track. Even Barnabas, remember Barnabas, son of encouragement? He was Paul's traveling companion. Even Barnabas was impacted by Peter's wrongdoing. Peter was acting hypocritically because in Acts chapter 11, he actually defended the Gentiles in Jerusalem and said, through faith in Jesus, Gentiles have been made clean as well. So a hypocrite, most of you know, doesn't practice what they preach. They tell people to do one thing, but they do the very thing they tell them not to do. So a hypocrite doesn't practice what they preach, and that's exactly what Peter was doing here. And because of those actions, he led other people astray. He led them off the path. He, led them, he, he messed up their focus, in a sense. So if Paul didn't confront Peter, the others that followed would have been validated. They'd be like, I guess Peter's right. Like, we can't eat with the Gentiles. They're unclean. We don't need to be around them, or we shouldn't be around them. Not only did it validate them following Peter, but it also gave an opportunity now for these Judaizers, these false teachers, to actually spread their false teaching. Because remember, their false teaching was this. In order to be a Christian, you had to essentially become Jewish. You had to obey the ceremonial laws of Judaism of that day in order to become a Christian. That's what they were saying. So basically what Paul is saying is, Peter, you're going to mess people up. Okay, They're going the wrong way. Think about this. Your actions and my actions, the things that we do and say, actually have the power to impact people that maybe look up to us, maybe look to us for guidance. So the things that you do and say can actually lead other people astray. And think about this. Many of you have been believers for decades, and you've followed after Christ for decades. Do you want to mess that commitment up by going the wrong way now? Or do you want to say, you know what? I want to continue to follow after the Lord. So now Paul explains the confrontation a little more. He explains kind of a little more details of the confrontation. It says this, but when I saw their conduct was, conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul says he's out of step with the gospel. The gospel is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus saves us when we trust, it, trust him. Peter trusted in Jesus and therefore was no longer living like a law-abiding Jew, or shouldn't have to live like a law-abiding Jew. So he says, how can or why would you force Gentiles to live like law-abiding Jews? So then he moves on, says this, to more theological and doctrinal truths. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul is now teaching them, teaching Peter, 
but teaching the, the, the Galatian church and incidentally us, Paul is now teaching them about the doctrine of justification, which is the act in which God declares the believing sinner, us, righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. So when you trust in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, before God the Father, you are now justified. When Christ, we, we, you see, when we trust in Christ, it's not only that our sins are forgiven, it's it, as if we have no sin in the sight of God the Father because Christ paid the penalty for our sins. In fact, even if you die while committing a sin, you are still justified before God the Father, okay? You wouldn't die in the act of a sin and then come face to face with the Lord and be like, well, you know what? I paid for them all except that last one because you didn't have time to ask for forgiveness, okay? You're beat. That's not how it works. So we as believers, even though we still sin, which obviously we know we do, we will not be condemned for our sin because of what Christ has done. Now, on the contrary, Paul teaches following the law can't justify us like Jesus can because no one can follow the law perfectly and the law doesn't have the power to actually justify or save a person. So now in this confrontation, Paul seeks to motivate Peter by the grace that they both received through the Father, through Jesus Christ. But Paul also knows that many critics will say, so wait, 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 wait. What you're saying is if you are in Christ, you can still go and sin however you please. So, you know, it would be like you as a believer in Christ being like, okay, I'm justified before God the Father. Game on. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Okay. So Paul kind of answers that. And he says this. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So essentially, what Paul is saying to Peter is this. You are not saved to go around sinning. When you validate these false teachers that say you have to follow the law, you are actually condemning yourself and going against the gospel you believe because now you are rebuilding, having faith, essentially, in the law or good works to save you, which is actually sinful. So what he's saying to Peter is, hey, listen, you're stepping back now. You're saying, okay, I believe in Jesus, but you know what? The law is kind of good. Let's kind of keep with that. So now he's sitting there with these unclean Gentiles. These Jews come in and he's like, oh, you know what? I think the Jews are right. I, I don't think we should be hanging with these guys. So now Paul goes on and spells out what kind of happened when he trusts in Jesus. Or basically what happened, kind of like a little bit of a personal testimony he goes into. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now Paul realized through his encounter with Jesus, that he could only be saved 
through Jesus, not through the law. So Paul, remember, he was jacked. I mean, he was educationally jacked. He was a law-abiding Jew. He was spending his life going around trying to get rid of Christians, hated Jesus, hated the followers. So then when Jesus appeared to him on that road to Damascus, he realized, he realized that it's only through Jesus that I could be saved. So that whole life of following after the law, the life that he lived, he's saying it died. Part of him died. Believing and having that philosophy of life is dead now. That freed him to live for Christ. Now, maybe you never believed that the law could save you. I don't know if we have any ceremonial law-abiding Jewish people here. Um, maybe you never trusted that philosophy of life. But I can guarantee, before you became a Christian, you had a philosophy of life. You had a belief system. It might have not have been the most theological belief system, okay? It might have not have been put together that well, but you kind of had your own rules to live by. Like, this is what I do. This is what I believe. That belief system died the day that you trusted in Christ. You realize that? That belief system, that philosophy, that way of life died. And here's what happens. If you don't let that die where you don't put it aside or put it to death, you know what happens to that? Kind of creeps back in. You know, maybe before you were a Christian, you were big into like horoscopes. You got up every morning, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm a Scorpio. And like, you know, let's see what's going to happen today. You know, and you still do that as a Christian. So you're like, I pray to Jesus, then I read my horoscope. It's weird, okay? You need to kill that stuff. You need to put that stuff aside. Whatever it is, whatever your belief system or philosophy in life was before you became a Christian, if it's not in step with the gospel, kill it. Get rid of it. You don't need it. Because if you keep it, it's going to creep in. That's what happened to Peter. He was kind of foot in both worlds. Uh-oh, there's the Jewish people. Got to go get away from the unclean people. Oh, Jewish people left the building? Unclean. That's fine, okay? So that's the problem. But do you realize that the people that you and I talk to about the Lord have belief systems and philosophies of life? I'm sure you realize that when you go to work, go to school, family members, friends, and you start talking to people about the Lord. They all have these kind of like little belief systems. Some of them like pick and choose, right? They live by them, and the truth is this. When you're talking to people, find out what they are. Find out what those belief systems are. Find out what their philosophy is. Find out what their way of life is, because using those, you can actually effectively talk to them about the Lord. Because the more you let them talk about those things, you're showing them respect. I respect what you're believing right now. But not only that, you're helping them understand that that belief system or that philosophy in life is not going to work. Peter, I mean, Paul, he, he was, Peter, like you're rebuilding a belief system that does not work. Don't do that. Don't live like that. It's not going to be helpful. It's not going to be useful. So for all of us, right, we have to look, what did I used to believe? And how am I going to shed that? How am I going to kill it? The people that we talk to, you know, don't be disrespectful to them, but just ask them, like, how, how's that belief system working out for you? What, what's the, what kind of impact does that have on eternity? Does that save you? Like, what's, what's the goal here? What are you living by? 
So now Paul closes this section by telling Peter and the Galatians and really us how to walk in this new life. Because, you know, some of us have a hard time killing the old stuff, right? Getting rid of the old stuff. So, so Paul helps them to understand how we do this. And this is a very famous verse. Some of you might have memorized this verse. And we'll read this and then we'll break it down. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let's start. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, meaning the old me has died. My old ways of thinking, my old ways and attitudes, my old philosophies, my old belief systems, they've died. They went to the cross. Before I trusted in Jesus, I, I fully embraced those things. But when I saw the fact that Jesus died for me, I crucified those. I believed in him and I said, you know what? Those things are dead. I'm no longer going that way anymore. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now as a believer, I have Christ living through me. I'm a vessel to be used by God the Father. My life is not my own. It belongs to Jesus, so my thoughts, my words, my deeds should stay in line with what Jesus would do and what Jesus would say. Christ living through us. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now I live by faith in Jesus, so when the pressure's on, when I need to make a decision, when I have to do something difficult, when I go to work, when I'm with my family or friends, when I'm dealing with health issues, when I have to confront someone, when I'm grieving the loss of someone, no matter what I do, every day, every hour, I do by faith in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. But if I don't, like Peter in this situation, I'm going to get off focus. If I don't focus my life on Jesus, if I don't take every area of my life and focus it in on my faith in Jesus, I'm going to get off focus. And if I get off focus, it might negatively impact the people around me, the people I love. And it's going to be displeasing to God. Then Paul shares his motivation for living the way that he lives. And in doing this, he's trying to inspire us. He's trying to inspire Peter. He's trying to inspire the Galatians. He's trying to inspire us. And he says, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, if anybody says to you, oh, Christianity, it's just shame-based or guilt-based. It's just rules and regulations. They don't understand Christianity. That's not our motivation. We shouldn't motivate each other like that because Jesus doesn't motivate us like that. He motivates us by love. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I, live, I, I, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. This is the why. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Sometimes it's hard to live by faith because our sight gets in the way. Have you ever noticed that? Okay, We walk by faith, not by sight, right? But sometimes it's hard to walk by faith because what we see gets in the way. That's what happened with Peter, right? What he saw... These Judaizers were coming in. He was like, oh, man, here we go. Like, I got to change my ways because I don't feel like fighting with these people. But you know what? 
we see things going on in life, decisions we have to make, fears that we have, things that seem impossible, things that seem like they'll never change. We see these things. That makes it hard for us to grab on to our faith. But what we need to do, Paul's advice, and really God's directives, when you are having a hard time living by faith, remember the one who loves you. What he did for you, the one who laid down his life, the one who gave his life for yours. Nobody's given their life for yours like Jesus did and like Jesus can. His name is Jesus. He is the one who loves us. That's where our soul motivation lies. It's not guilt. It's not shame. It's not rules. It's not regulations. It's looking to the one who loves us and what he's already done for us. We know that because of that, in every situation, when sight gets in the way, in every situation, I know I serve a God who loves me. And he proves that to me. Then Paul closes with a doctrinal truth and he says, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Nullify, invalidate, null and void, cancel out. Believing that the law can save cancels out the grace of God. Without the grace of God, there is no salvation. And guess what? If you and I can be saved by good works, Jesus died for no purpose. Okay? Jesus died for no purpose. If we can be saved by works of the law. But we know that we can't be saved. It's not true. So as believers... Our job is not only to remind ourselves that, but it's to also set the record straight. Right? When other people are trying to be saved apart from Jesus, in gentleness, in respect, in love, we want to set the record straight. And a lot of times we don't set the record straight because we're kind of a little afraid, aren't we? It's hard to open your mouth up. It's hard to say something. I've felt it so many times in my life. Oh, man, I missed an opportunity because I was kind of afraid what they would think. But you know what Paul later says in Romans 1.16? He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. We're thankful for the example of the Apostle Paul willing to confront the Apostle Peter when he was off focus. We pray, Lord, for each one of us that we'll be open to people's confrontation, that we'll be willing to confront our fellow believers in order to bring them back on track, but we'll be willing to not only trust your gospel message with every day, but to also spread that to others. I'm thankful again for this day, for this church, for all these people here today. I just pray that you would just help them to live by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name we pray.